they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Friday, May the 20th. And we'll begin with prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Queen of heaven, rejoice. Alleluia. For he whom you merited to bear, Alleluia, has risen as he said, Alleluia. Pray for us to God. Alleluia. Rejoice and be glad, O Virgin Mary. Alleluia. For the Lord is truly risen. Alleluia. O God, who by the resurrection of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, have vouchsafed to make glad the whole world. Grant, we beseech thee, that through the prayers of the Virgin Mary, we may rejoice to share in his resurrection through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. And we ask the angels to join us here. Sanctus, 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 Dominus Deus Sabaot, Plenis Uncelia Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in Excelsis, Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in Excelsis. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this Friday, May 20th, 2022 on Bible with the Barbers. And if you like this program and you like this Bible study, please uh, share it with others. Give us a like, share us, and make sure you tell your friends and family and everybody you know. There's a Bible study, a Catholic Bible study that you can join and uh, tune into every Friday. And you can listen to the podcast at any time. So thank you so much. And thank you for all the radio stations that pick up Virgin Most Powerful Radio's signal. And thank you for all our supporters and all those who pray for us, those of you who offer your sufferings for us, and our volunteers and those who help us and work with us to make this possible. So Terry started last week um, working on the Ten Commandments, and I, my understanding is he got through Commandments 1 through 4. So we're on the Fifth Commandment, the Fifth Commandment from Exodus twenty thirteen, And um, it says, you shall not kill. Real simple, right? Well, it's funny how we try and get around things, isn't it? So we have um, in this little catechism that Terry found a brief summary of the Ten Commandments. And um, I'm trying to see who did this book. It was the St. Paul editions, the Daughters of St. Paul, a brief summary of the Ten Commandments. And this was done back in um, 1975. So it's... um, They give the story of Jacob and Esau. And you might recall that Jacob had... um, he bought Esau's birthright. Esau was older than Jacob. He was born first, but they were twins. And um, Jacob wanted the birthright. So one day when Esau has come in from hunting and he's been hunting, who knows? He's been hunting out in the fields for days or a week and he's very hungry. He's famished. And Jacob has made some soup and lentil soup, a pottage. Or, and Jacob and Esau sells his birthright for a bowl of soup. Because he feels like he's going to die if he doesn't get something to eat. And he doesn't have a chance to prepare it for himself. So eventually what happens is Jacob has to flee. He goes to Laban. He marries uh, Laban's daughter first, Leah, and then Rachel. And then he's coming back. He's coming back. He has to separate from Laban because Laban is getting jealous of how successful Jacob is. And so he has to leave and he's going back. But he's coming back and he's thinking, you know, my brother Esau may be harboring a grudge against me. And so what happens is as he's coming, and the story is told in, um, in Genesis 32 
and 33. And so Jacob is coming back with his family and he has, um, you know, his, his, um, he has children already. He has children of his, of his, from his wives. He has, uh, Leah has children and, um, um, gosh, good morning. His other wife, whose name is like, the mother of Joseph, um, it's interesting. I'm sorry, I've forgotten it right now. Anyway, they have they're coming back, and uh, Rachel, right? Rachel, yeah, Rachel, and Rachel has, um, you know, she has Joseph at that point. It's the only son she has. That's her own son. And then both of the slave girls, the slave girl of Leah and the slave girl of, of Rachel, both have children from Jacob. So they're coming back, and and he's like, well. He, he, he divides his camp, he gets everything ready in case Esau is going to come and attack me because Esau is coming with 400 men to greet him. And he's like, this guy's going to come and kill me because uh, what I did. So Jacob sends before him an offering. He, he picks out a certain number of animals and, and uh, you know, of his flocks from every kind of animal he has and sends them ahead in three different groups to greet Esau. And finally he greets Esau and Esau says, no, I free, I'm not. I'm glad to see you. And he says, I don't need your gifts. I have plenty. But Jacob says, look, because I've been so blessed by the Lord, I, would, I want to give these to you as a gift. And because of your graciousness to me and you're not holding a grudge, I want to. And so Esau accepts the gift. But so the basis of the commandment is this love of neighbor and this respect for one's neighbor and not holding grudges and not... Um, <laughs> You know, we can nurse grudges for a long time and we can get ourselves really worked up into a frenzy, okay? But remember that every human person is created in God's image as a person to be loved. And so God, who has fatherly concern for everyone, has willed that all men should constitute one family and treat one another in a spirit of brotherhood. For having been created in the image of God, who from one man has created the whole human race and made them live over all the face of the earth, Acts 17, 26. All men are called to one and the same goal, namely God himself. We're all called to live in union with God. For this reason, love of God and neighbor is the first and greatest commandment. Sacred scripture, however, teaches us that the love of God cannot be separated from the love of our neighbor. If there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Romans 13, 9 through 10, and then compare 1 John 4, 20. 1 John 4, 20, I believe, says, don't tell me you love the God whom you don't see, and you, but you don't love the neighbor whom you see. You're lying. So if you don't love your neighbor, you, you can't love God either. We have to love. To men growing daily more dependent on one another and to a world becoming more unified every day, the truth proves to be paramount importance, this truth, that we have to love one another. And we love one another because we're all made in God's image as persons to be loved. Coming down to the practical and particularly urgent consequences, this council lays stress on reverence for man. Everyone must consider his very, every neighbor without exception as another self taking into account, first of all, his life and means necessary to living it with dignity so as not to imitate the rich man who had no concern for the poor Lazarus. Remember in the gospel that Lazarus, the poor man who sat at the gate and the dogs licked his sores and the rich man, you know, 
dwelt in luxury and dined sumptuously. Okay? But he had no concern. The rich man had no concern for the poor man at his gate. The Lord is telling us, no, you have to have concern for your brothers. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. So in our time, a special obligation binds us to make ourselves the neighbor of every person without exception and of actively helping him when he comes across our path. Whenever he has, whether he has been, he Whether he be an old person abandoned by all, a foreign laborer unjustly looked down upon, a refugee, a child born of unlawful union, or a child in the womb, the child wrongly suffering for a sin he did not commit, or a hungry person who disturbs our conscience by recalling the voice of our Lord. As long as you did it for one of the least of my brothers, you did it for me, Matthew 15, excuse me, Matthew 25, 40, okay? The teaching of Christ even requires that we forgive injuries and extends the law of love to include every enemy according to the command of the new law. You have heard the commandment, you shall love your countrymen but hate your enemy. My command to you is love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, Matthew 5, 43 and 44. And that was from the Constitution of the Church in the Modern World, Vatican II. So what does the fifth commandment command us? Well, it forbids everything that can injure the life or well-being of the body or soul, body or soul, of myself or my neighbor. What are some of the chief crimes committed against human life and dignity? Some of the chief crimes committed against human life and dignity are any type of murder, genocide, murder, the taking of innocent human life genocide, abortion, euthanasia, or willful self-destruction, whether violates whatever violates, whatever violates the integrity of the human person, such as mutilation, torments inflicted on the body or mind, attempts to coerce the will itself, whatever insults human dignity, such as subhuman living conditions, arbitrary imprisonment, deportation, slavery, the selling of women and children, as well as disgraceful working conditions. So we have to respect the human person because every person is made in God's image and God made every human person. So we're all children of God. So we're all brothers and sisters because God is the father of us all. So We cannot take innocent human life and we must respect the dignity of the human person and try to do our best to alleviate the sufferings of our brothers and sisters, the poverty. We don't oppress people. We don't make slaves of them. We don't make them work for us for nothing. We don't give them working conditions that are subhuman. Okay. We live in dignity as human persons made in God's image. The commandment you shall not kill applies to all innocent human life. And I hear the music. We're coming up against a break here. So we'll talk here more about the fifth commandment, thou shalt not kill. Thank you for joining us on the Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, the 20th of May, 2023. Don't go away. We'll be back. Right back.
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, welcome back. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. Terry's doing grand, grand, uh, take care of our grandson today. So what are the sins? What are some of the sins against the fifth commandment? Okay. Well, the taking of any hum, in, innocent human life. That's why... You, you can never take an innocent human life. This is always wrong, always gravely morally evil. That's why abortion is always gravely morally evil. Direct induced abortion, the deliberate taking of innocent human life, okay, when um, it is in- induced. Um, you can't take your own life, and you can't deliberately try to shorten your own life, okay? We're not supposed to, <laughs> evil can evil. you're not supposed to do things that are dangerous to your life just for a thrill, now, if you're doing something that's dangerous to your life because you're trying to save another life, you can do that. But you can't put your life in danger just for the sake of a thrill or to entertain people or because you actually are hoping that you'll die in the process. Euthanasia is against the fifth commandment. Drug abuse is against the fifth commandment. Mutilation of the human body is against the fifth commandment. Um, so what are we supposed to do under the fifth commandment? What is it? We're supposed to take proper care of our health and well-being, proper food, proper sleep, proper shelter, proper medical attention, proper clothing. Um, and we're supposed to help the poor so that they have these things too. We must also have care for the spiritual well-being and growth of our neighbor, not just the physical, but our spiritual, our spiritual well-being and health and our neighbors also, Okay. Remember what Jesus said in the gospel. He said, stop worrying then over the question of what we are to eat or what we are to drink or what we are to wear. The unbelievers are always going after these things. Your heavenly father knows you need all these things. Seek first his kingship over you and his way of holiness and all these things will be given to you besides. So Matthew 6, 31 to 32. And um, we fail against the fifth commandment by quarreling, fighting, anger, hatred, revenge, drunkenness. Drunkenness is against the fifth commandment. Quarreling, fighting, anger, hatred, revenge, the taking of harmful or dangerous drugs, and scandal. When we give scandal to others, that's against the fifth commandment because that damages the souls of others. Okay. What did Christ teach about love of, of love and forgiveness? Well, gee, what did he say? In the Our Father, he teaches us, to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, right? He also said from the cross, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. So from the cross, he shows us, forgive our enemies, forgive those who hurt you, forgive those who are killing you. He was dying on the cross. <laughs> so um, love your neighbor as, you, as yourself, and love your enemies. Pray for those who have persecuted you. Matthew 5, 43. This is how they will know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. John thirteen thirty five. You have heard the commandment imposed on your forefathers. You shall not commit murder. Every murder shall be loyal to the judgment. 
What I say to you is everyone who grows angry with his brother shall be liable to the judgment. Anyone who uses abusive language toward his brother shall be answerable to the Sanhedrin. And if he holds his brother in contempt, he risks the fires of Gehenna. If you bring your gift to the altar and there recall that your brother has anything against you, leave your gift at the altar. Go first and be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift. Matthew 5, 21 through 24. So we need to be forgiving. We're forgiving people. This is the uniqueness of Christianity. Christ forgave his enemies and we were his enemies. By the way, he didn't wait till we were his friends to die for us. He died for us while we were yet sinners. And so we are supposed to do the same for others. And we have to respect the spiritual well-being of others also, okay? We're not supposed to give scandal. We're supposed to give good example. We're supposed to live a holy, godly life where we keep the commandments and practice our religion for love of God and love of neighbor, okay? Um, the people who make you know, the mass media, what is their obligation? Well, people who are responsible for the transmission of mass media, movies, tele, um, television shows, music, magazines, books, they must be acquainted with the norms of morality and conscientiously put them into practice in this area. Well, what about the readers and consumers of mass media? The readers, that's us, we are pro- obliged to choose only what is morally good and honestly truthful. Oh, only what is, so if, if there's news media out there that's not giving us the truth, we're not supposed to be consuming it. We're supposed to only what is morally good and honestly truthful. So when the news media is lying to us, we're not supposed to be watching that news media. And we're supposed to call them to, to honesty. They're supposed to be telling the truth. They're not supposed to be just being politically correct. <laughs> they must avoid whatever can be a cause of spiritual harm for themselves or others. In addition, parents have a serious duty to guard their children from any morally harmful influence from the media and for them and from and form themselves and their children in the use of the media with an upright conscience we're not supposed to just consume any movie any tv show any music any books any magazines any no we're supposed to weigh whether or not this is actually good and holy and upright and is leading us closer to god Are we to have the same respect for all men? Yes, because all men are created in the image and likeness of God and have been redeemed by Christ and are destined for eternal life. Therefore, every type of discrimination is to be overcome and rooted out as contrary to God's intent to human dignity. So, the fifth commandment. It calls us to a lot. (laughs) But the respect for every human life. And by the way, we have to fight for the vulnerable and those who can't fight for themselves. So yeah, that's why fighting against the crime of induced abortion is so preeminent a priority for Christians and Catholics because we have to defend the defenseless. But we also have to defend the widow and the poor. So let's not forget them. And we don't forget them. We try to support them in every way we can. So after the fifth commandment, you have the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And it's interesting because you have another commandment that's related to that. It's called the ninth commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Oh, what? Yeah, the sixth commandment. 
Thou shalt not commit adultery. And then Jesus goes on in Matthew 5, 27 to 28 to say, You have heard the commandment imposed on your forefathers. You shall not commit adultery. What I say to you is, anyone who looks lustfully at a woman has already committed adultery with her and his thoughts. By the way, Pope John Paul II said, not even husbands can lust after their wives. Lust is the desire to use another person. Did you hear that? Lust is the desire to use another person for your own personal pleasure. That is a sin, even in marriage. In marriage, husband and wife freely give themselves to one another as a mutual self-gift. The wife is a gift to her husband. The husband is a gift to his wife. And it's for the pleasure of the other, not for my own pleasure. That doesn't mean I'm not going to experience pleasure. It just means that I do this for the other. I'm there for the other. And then the, the ninth commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, Exodus twenty seventeen. As for lewd conduct or promiscuousness or lust of any sort, let them not even be mentioned among you. Your holiness forbids this, nor should there be any obscene, silly, or suggestive talk. All of that is out of place. Instead, give thanks. Make no mistake about this. No fornicator, no unclean or lustful person, in effect an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Ephesians 5, 3 through 5. Do we take this to heart? As for lewd conduct or promiscuousness or lust of any sort, let them not even be mentioned among you, for your holiness forbids this, nor should there be any obscene, silly, or suggestive talk. It is out of place. How many sitcoms do Christians sit around and watch at night? This is wrong. They're based on the degradation of the human person. Most sitcoms are based on the degradation of the human person. It's wrong to watch it. That's not entertainment. Okay? And murder is not entertainment. Violence is not entertainment. You know, if someone says to you, oh, well, there was nothing wrong with that movie. There was no sex in it. <laughs> well, excuse me. So there was gratuitous violence, and there was the message that the ends justifies the means? No, honey. The fifth commandment, too, thou shalt not kill. <laughs> but the sixth commandment also, we're not, we're not there to be entertained. We're not supposed to have lustful thoughts. Our sexuality is part of our identity because we're either male or female. But its purpose, it has a purpose in marriage. Union and procreation. God made them male and female, and he gave them a command. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Man and woman were made for one another as a gift, as a free gift. So the sixth commandment obliges us to observe purity and modesty in our behavior, both when alone and with others. The ninth commandment obliges us to purity in thoughts and desires. And the commandments go together because one is about the virtue of purity in our acts, the external acts, and the other is about the vir internal virtue of purity in our, in our thoughts, and thoughts and desires, the ninth commandment. Purity or chastity is that virtue by which we properly regulate or use the sexual acts according to our state in life. If we are married, we can engage in conjugal relations. 
within right reason for the purpose of union and procreation. And we can never deliberately exclude the possibility of children coming from that. Because if we deliberately exclude the possibility of children coming from conjugal relations, then we are misusing that. What is modesty? Modesty is that virtue which inclines us to guard our senses so as to avoid possible temptation. It also causes us to refrain from whatever might incite others to sin and to be proper in dress and behavior. So modesty isn't just about our dress. It's also about our behavior. But remember, our dress, the way we dress can incite other people to sin. So we want to make sure we're not dressing in a manner that incites other people to sin. What sins are forbidden by the sixth and ninth commandment? The sixth and sixth commandment of God forbids impure acts. That is the illegitimate pleasure of sex and everything that leads to impurity. The ninth commandment forbids impure thoughts sought or entertained with pleasure, impure imaginings voluntarily excited or not rejected in evil desires. So we can be tempted to be unchaste, but a temptation is a temptation. If we reject that temptation and try and distract ourselves, then we haven't sinned. But if we entertain that temptation and give into it, then we've sinned. I hear the music again. Time sure seems to be going faster today than normal. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying this show. Please share and like um, Virgin Most Powerful Radio with others and let them know, people know there is a Bible study on Virgin Most Powerful Radio so that they can join in. We'll be right back with more on the commandments. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, Call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. So we're talking about the commandments. We did the fifth commandment. Now we're on the sixth and the ninth commandment about chastity and, and living a moral life. Thou shalt not commit adultery and thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. And we have here, you know, marriage was instituted by God between a man and a woman. And so we have from Gaudium et Spes, from the documents of Vatican II, Love is uniquely expressed and perfected through the appropriate enterprise of matrimony. The actions within marriage by which the couple are united intimately and chastely are noble and worthy ones, expressed in a manner which is truly human. These actions promote that mutual self-giving by which the spouses enrich each other and with a joyful and ready will, not through coercion, not through manipulation, not through force, okay? Sealed by mutual faithfulness and hallowed above all by Christ's sacrament, this love remains steadfast, true in body and, and in mind, in bright days or dark. It will never be profaned by adultery or divorce. Firmly established by the Lord, the unity of marriage will radiate from the equal personal dignity of wife and husband a dignity acknowledged by mutual and total love. The constant fulfillment of the duties of this Christian vocation demand notable virtue. For this reason, strengthened by grace for holiness of life, the couple will painstakingly cultivate and pray for steadfastness of love, large-heartedness, and a spirit of sacrifice. 
authentic conjugal love will be more highly prized and the wholesome public opinion created about it if Christian couples give outstanding witness to faithfulness and harmony in their love and to their concern for educating their children. Also, if they do their part in bringing about the needed cultural, psychological, and social renewal on behalf of marriage and family, especially in the heart of their own families, young people should be aptly and seasonably instructed in the dignity, duty, and work of married love. Trained thus in the cultivation of chastity, they will be able at a suitable age to enter a marriage of their own after an honorable courtship. Marriage and conjugal love are by their nature ordained toward the begetting and educating of children. Children are really the supreme gift of marriage and contribute very substantially to the welfare of their parents. The God himself who said, it is not good for the man to be alone, Genesis 2.18, and who made man from the beginning, male and female, Matthew 19.4, wishing to share with man a certain special participation in his own creative work, blessed male and female, saying, increase and multiply, Genesis 1.28. Hence, while not making the other purposes of matrimony of less account, the true practice of conjugal love and the whole meaning of the family life which results from it have this aim, that the couple be ready with stout hearts to cooperate with the love of the Creator and the Savior, who through them will enlarge and enrich his own family day by day. Now that doesn't, you know, it's up to God to bless a marriage with children. Not everybody receives children as a gift from the Lord, but they are a gift from the Lord always and everywhere. And so there's no room for using contraceptives in marriage. Because when we use contraceptives in marriage, as John Paul II said, there's a language of the body. And in the conjugal act, when I give myself to my spouse, I say, I am completely yours without reserve. I am exclusively yours. I belong to no one else. And I am forever yours permanently. Okay? So open to life, exclusive, and permanent for the well-being of the spouses and the children who come from that, if God blesses us with children. If I'm using contraceptives, I'm saying with my body, well, I'm completely yours, but no, I'm not, because I'm not going to give you my fertility. I'm reserving that. I don't allow that to be part of our conjugal relations. So I'm not being honest. And again, adultery. If I commit adultery, then I'm, I say with my body to my spouse, I'm exclusively yours, but if I commit adultery, then I'm giving myself to someone else. And divorce, I've said with my body, I'm permanently yours. But by divorce, well, I've decided I'm not yours anymore. And that's why it's so important to wait for marriage to engage in the conjugal act. Because again, in the conjugal act, you're saying I'm exclusively yours, I'm permanently yours, and I'm open to life. But if you're not married to that person, you haven't made the commitment to be exclusively theirs for all time. And so there has to be a marriage there. So that's, you know, the sins against th this commandment um, are what? Adultery, un unreasonable denial of the marital rights, fornication, that's committing acts, the conjugal act was with another person, two, two unmarried people committing the conjugal act together. That's fornication. 
contraception, sterilization, homosexual activity, prostitution, premarital sex, self-abuse, deliberate thoughts, words, and actions which arouse unlawful sexual feelings, reading obscene literature, watching immoral movies, TV, plays, shows, indecent photographs or paintings or reading, listening to or dancing to suggestive music. We have to guard our senses and guard what comes into our senses and that's what comes into our heart and our mind. So we need to live chaste lives. And any sin that we commit can be forgiven. Remember, in the, in the gospel, we have that, that the sinful woman who comes and washes Jesus' feet. He's at, he's at dinner at Simon the leper's house. And this sinful woman comes into Simon's house, freely comes into Simon's house, hmm, and washes his feet. And, and Simon is sitting there saying, hmm, if this man were a prophet, he wouldn't let this woman touch him because he knows what kind of a woman it is. Eh. Well, Simon, how do you know that? Who do you know who she is and why does she have free access to your house? But Jesus says, look, Simon, she washed my feet with her tears. She has not ceased kissing my feet and she has anointed me with oil. You didn't give me water for my feet. You didn't give me a kiss to greet me and you didn't anoint me with oil. She's done all of this. You see how much she has loved and because of her much love, her great love, her many sins are forgiven. Or the woman caught in adultery who's brought before Jesus to trip him up. You know, they bring this poor woman before him. Now, of course, she's caught in the act of adultery, but the man isn't brought there. By the way, in the Old Testament, both the man and the woman were supposed to be stoned, not just the woman. That's why in the book of Daniel, in Susanna's case, the, elder, the two elders who supposedly caught her together with a young man argued that the young man was too strong for us and ran away. But Jesus forgives the sins. He forgives. If we say we're sorry, and the, the, the sinful woman, she said she was sorry. And when the woman who was caught in adultery is standing before Jesus, Jesus looks up after he tells the men, well, if, if, you don't, if there's anyone there who doesn't have any sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. And everybody leaves. And he looks at her and he says, hasn't anyone condemned you? And she said, no one, sir. And, but he tells her, he says, neither do I, but go and commit this sin no more. So we give up our sins. We repent of our sins, but we need to guard against them. We're supposed to avoid the near occasion of sin. And again, you know, the commandments of God are not just some kind of God is trying to imprison us. God made us in his image. He's giving us freedom. He wants us to live in freedom as his very dear children. He wants us to imitate him as his very dear children. So we, we need to study our faith. And you can go to the Catechism of the Catholic Church um, this, um, um, and read the section on um, the commandments, I just have it open to the fifth commandment here, which begins at paragraph 2258 and following. So that, you know, 2200s here and uh, probably all the way into the 2400s uh, go about the commandments. Yeah, the ninth commandment, you're, you're going all the way up to 2500s, as a matter of fact. The tenth commandment, the 2500s. So the commandments go all the way to 2557. So, and they begin before 2258, but you've got a section in the catechism there, study. We need to study our faith. We're supposed to study it every day. We're supposed to ask for more faith every day. And we, we have to live it. If we want to have faith, we have to live it. By the way, prayer is the work of faith. So we need to pray every day. 
So then we have the seventh and tenth commandment. The seventh commandment is you shall not steal. And in Exodus 22, it says, a thief must f- make full restitution. If he has nothing, he shall be sold to pay for his theft. So if you steal something, you're supposed to restore it to the owner. And if you can't, you're supposed to be, well, in the Old Testament, you were sold. <laughs> you know, they used to call debtor's prison. They had debtor's prisons in, back in the Middle Ages. The 10th commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's goods. And Exodus 20:17 says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, nor his male or female slave, nor his ox or his ass, nor anything that belongs to him. So what duty is imposed on us by the 7th and 10th commandment? We are obliged to be honest, honest, not to be stealing. And to respect all that concerns the possessions of others. And this commandment forbids stealing and robbery, unjust acquisition of goods, unjust acquisition of goods, and reckless destruction of what belongs to others. We're not supposed to destroy other people's property. Stealing becomes a mortal sin if the thing stolen is of great value or if you steal something from the poor. Stealing something of small value becomes a mortal sin if the owner is poor and thus suffers a great injury. So, okay, what does the 10th commandment forbid? The 10th commandment forbids even the desire to take or keep our neighbor's goods. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. We're not supposed to be looking at what other people have and longing to have it for ourselves. No, we, we need to renounce that. We are bound to return stolen goods. If we've stolen something, we're bound to return it. Subtle forms of stealing. Well, cheating the consumer as to the exact use of a machine or object being sold. Hiding a defect in that object. Doing poor work and repair through negligence. Charging a price that deserves a better job. In politics, acquiring money or positions by dishonest means. Oh, that's all stealing. So we will be right back with more on the Ten Commandments. Share this program with others. Invite your friends and family to listen to Bible with the Barbers and Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you for joining us here on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, May 20th, 2022. And again, we're dealing with the Ten Commandments. Last week, Terry started on the Ten Commandments, so this is from Exodus. And we're coming up here now to the closing almost. We're on the um, uh, seventh and ninth, and then we still have to do the, the excuse me, the, excuse me, this, the seventh commandment and the tenth commandment, and then we, we have to do the eighth commandment. So hopefully we get to that. So. But what now we're talking about the seventh commandment, thou shalt not steal, and the tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. So, do we have a right to private ownership? Yeah, we have a right to private ownership. But remember, in our right to private ownership, we are never justified in keeping for our exclusive use what, I, what we don't need if other people are in need. So, if I have more than I need of this world's goods, they've been given to me by God to share with the poor. Remember the story of Lazarus and, and Lazarus, the poor man who lived at the, the gate of the rich man. Yeah, we, remember, we are our brother's keeper and we are supposed to take care of the needs of our brothers. So if I have more than I need of this world's goods, I'm stealing from the poor if I'm not supporting the poor in some manner, shape or form. 
And it's interesting. We pay taxes here in the United States, and a lot of people feel like, well, you know, I pay taxes to the government, and there's a welfare system. Well, all of our taxes don't go to help the welfare system. But we can ask God to send his angels to direct the money that we give to the government to be used for good, because our government, unfortunately, does a lot of evil with our money, too. You know, unfortunately, our, our government supports programs that kill children and, and um, also degrade the human person by giving them money not to work. That's not, that's not good and holy. That's not upright. That's not respecting the dignity of the human person. Work dignifies the human person, so we have to respect that, okay? You don't steal from a man his ability to take care of his family, and oftentimes governments do that. And that's one of the things that the government sometimes uses our money for. So we have to pray to God that the government will use our money rightly. And we have to pray for government leaders who will do the right and the holy. And remember, we're not supposed to trust in our possessions, right? What did, what did Jesus say in the gospel? He said to the crowd, avoid greed in all of its forms. A man may be wealthy, but his possessions do not guarantee him life. He told them the parable in these words. There was a rich man who had a good harvest. What shall I do? He asked himself. I have no place to store my harvest. I know. I will pull down my grain bins and build larger ones. Oh my, all my grain and my goods will go there. Then I will say to myself, you have blessings in reserve for years to come. Relax, eat heartily, drink well, enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life shall be required of you. To whom will all this piled up wealth of yours go? This is the way it works with the man who grows rich for himself instead of growing rich in the sight of God. Luke twelve fifteen through 21. The rich man had an obligation to take some of that extra grain instead of storing it in his grain bins and giving it to the poor. And instead, he's only thinking of himself. I'm going to start to be lazy. Of course, he's got slaves who are working his fields anyway, so is he feeding them right? So there's lots of ways that we steal. And, and, and by the way, the fathers of the church said, you know, if, if people are starving to death and you have more than you need to eat, you're stealing from them. So we need to make sure that we're taking care of the poor. The Eighth Commandment. What is the Eighth Commandment? The Eighth Commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, Exodus twenty sixteen. See to it then that you put an end to lying. Let everyone speak the truth to his neighbor, for we are members one of another, Ephesians four twenty five. The duty imposed on us by the Eighth Commandment is to be truthful and to interpret in the best possible way the actions of others. To be truthful and interpret in the best possible way the actions of the others. We are to avoid rash judgment, suspicion, detraction, and calumny, ta- calumny, tail-bearing, and telling the secrets we are bound to keep. Truth is more than our speech conforming with our mind. It is when what enters the human mind is in agreement with the mind of God, as we can know it through the teaching of the church. What is a lie? A lie is something said for the purpose of deceiving others, which we know or suspect to be untrue. Is there ever a good reason for telling a lie? The answer is no, never. You can never tell a lie, not even if you think you're going to have good come of it. You can't have a good intention and tell a lie. 
A lie is always bad in itself. It is never allowed, even for a good intention, to do a thing that is bad in itself. So you can't tell a lie, all right? Now, there's such a thing as a mental reservation. That is, if someone's asking me for information, they don't really have a right to that information. I can reserve it. I don't have to answer their questions. I don't have to say anything to them, okay? But it's tricky. A mental reservation is not saying a, a lie. It's not telling a lie, okay? And then it goes on to explain what detraction is. Detraction is making known what, without good reason, the hidden faults of another. Detraction is telling something true about someone, but it's something hidden that other people don't know. You don't have a right to do that. Now, for instance, if you're, if you're called to court to testify against someone who's committed a crime and you saw it, even though that crime was hidden, but you saw it, well, yeah, you can tell in court that you saw that crime. You need to. That's to protect society, okay? What, when are slan what are slander and calumny? Slander and calumny is when a person injures the good name of another by lying, okay? So we don't, we don't lie. So we have to be truthful and honest in all of our actions and in everything that we do in order, in order not to lead others into sin. And it's interesting because we have the example in the book of Maccabees of, of 90-year-old Eleazar. And remember, the Greeks had taken over, and they were, they were trying to get the, the Jews to eat pork and take on Greek ways. And, and Eleazar is 90 years old, and so they're, they're trying to force him to eat pork. They actually put it in his mouth. He spits it out. He says, no, I want to live for the Lord. And he says, no, I, I've lived my whole life for him. And so um, it's, just, it's a beautiful passage. He goes forth to the instrument of torture, and he's, he's ready to give his life rather than compromise and rather than eat the meat that's... Um, and so some of his friends say, look, Eleazar, you've been our friend for a long time. Just bring some meat that's yours, that you can eat, okay, and just pretend, you know? And Eleazar says, wait a minute. What? No, this is not, this is not a, a way to live. He says, at our age, it would be unbecoming to make such a pretense. Many young men would think that 90-year-old Eleazar had gone over to an alien religion. Should I thus dissimulate for the sake of a brief moment of life? They would be led astray by me, while I would bring shame and dishonor on my old age. Even if, for the time being, I avoid punishment of men, I shall never, whether alive or dead, escape the hands of the Almighty. Therefore, by manfully giving up my life now, I will prove myself worthy of my old age, and I will leave to the young a noble example of how to die willingly and generously for the revered and holy laws. Martyrdom to be witnesses to God and his truth. Eliezer wasn't even going to pretend to do something that might lead other people astray. It's not becoming. And so, by the way, you know, public opinion and disseminating information that's false, the media has an obligation to not disseminate false information. So when the media is lying to us, when they're switching the truth, when they're you know, repressing the truth and just giving out what's politically correct. We need to fight against this. We need to demand that our, our media outlets be honest in reporting the news. And we can verify it. And it's interesting, you know, the last few years have been real, real challenges to us in this area. But we can, 
we can pray also. We need to pray. You know, if we think we're going to do this on our own, no, we need God's help. We need God's help to keep his commandments. We need God's help to live according to his law. We need God's help to be faithful. You know, it's interesting. God asks us to love the way he loves. And, and Jesus told us to love our neighbor the way he loved us. So we need to ask God for grace every day, for the grace to keep his commandments, the grace to live an upright and holy life, the grace to not compromise with the world, the flesh, and the devil. We're not here to get along with the world. We're not here to just have a, you know, get along, you know, go along to get along. No, we need to speak out against evil when we see it. We need to defend the innocent when we see them being mistreated unjustly. We need to defend the poor and the widows. But we especially need to be godly in all of our actions. Our dignity comes from the fact that we are all created in God's image as persons to be loved. And God's commandments are based on this, our dignity as human persons. I really, really encourage you, study the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Look up the section on the dignity of the human person and look up the section on the commandments and read those sections and really learn and let it penetrate. We're made in God's image. We were made to live in union with God. We weren't made for mediocrity. We weren't made to live a life on this earth forever. We weren't made for wealth or pleasure or, you know, comfort or ease. We're made to live in union with God and to image him in everything that we do. We're supposed to be a living image of Christ. We're supposed to be the light of Christ to the world. And we can't do this if we make compromises with sin. And we can't do this especially if we don't pray. We have to pray every day. Prayer changes things. Look at the good that's being done in our country now through the sacrifices of many people. People have sacrificed their lives to bring about goodness and truth and beauty. And they sacrifice, people have sacrificed their careers. They've sacrificed their good names in order to tell the truth. For instance, the recent decision of the Supreme Court that, yeah, Roe v. Wade was a bad decision. And not only was it a bad decision, if you look at the history of it, it was actually illegally brought about. So we need to bring our country back to the godliness under which it was founded. I'm not worried about whether a person is, is Republican. The Republican Party does have a good platform, but not everybody who's in the Republican Party supports that platform. But the Democratic Party platform is actually evil. So you have to reject that platform. But the point is, are we godly people? Do we want to be Americans who believe that we were one nation founded under God based on the dignity of the human person and therefore we give every man his right to freedom and to be able to live his life according to his conscience, but a well-formed conscience, an informed conscience that has studied what God has made and studied the laws of God and tries to live by them. Well, we're coming to the end of this program, and this just time went just too fast today. It must have been a lot of fun. I hope you all enjoyed it. It sure went fast for me. And tell your family and friends, share Virgin Most Powerful Radio and the Bible with the Barbers in particular with your family and friends. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers. And join us again next week on Bible with the Barbers, Virgin Most Powerful Radio.